Today's podcast is brought to you by Ashlyn Lee. Founded by two moms of tween girls, Ashlyn Lee has set out to tackle puberty and periods. With monthly delivery of organic period products sized for teens or adults and a community of experts to help guide conversations between parents and daughters, Ashlyn Lee will ensure you're informed and prepared. Head to ashlynlee.com, that's A-S-H-L-Y-N-L-E-E.com, and enter code FULLBLOOM for 10% off your first order. That's ashlynlee.com, code FULLBLOOM. Hi, and welcome to The Full Bloom Project, a body-positive parenting podcast dedicated to promoting emotional wellness in our children and health at every size for the whole family. Each week, we speak with extraordinary experts and distill everything from scholarly research to self-help books into accessible and digestible daily parenting practices. We're your hosts, Zoe Bisbing and Leslie Block, both New York City-based psychotherapists and mothers on this body-positive parenting journey with you, here to help you help your children fully bloom. A quick reminder that this podcast is for general information and educational purposes only, and is not intended for and shouldn't replace advice from a medical or mental health professional. Welcome back to the Full Bloom Podcast, episode number 64. This is our final episode of season three, and our theme is body positive parenting in real life. And we are featuring personalized questions from our patrons. But before we get to today's question, we want to take a moment to update you on what to expect over the next couple of months from us. Oh, Leslie, this time, I, I, uh, how are you doing with the whole parenting in pandemic? <laughs> I'm laughing. It's, <laughs> it's been a juggling act. I think that's the most appropriate way to put it. And... Uh, how are you doing? Uh, I'm <laughs> I'm laughing. <laughs> um, I'm laughing, and I hope we can keep laughing. I mean, <laughs> it's like there's something laughable about the impossibility of it all, and I'm, I think a lot of people have found silver linings. And you know, it was a it was a blast to give birth during the pandemic, and you know, <laughs> like numbers look good in New York. So right now, anyway, there's a little bit of breathing. But, but anyway, it's sort of a, it's been a tough time for a lot of people, obviously. And I think it kind of brings us to this decision we made to take a little pause, certainly not a goodbye, but a little pause uh, here so that we can kind of focus on this transition back to school and seeing how things go as we, as we kind of try to get back to life and work and school what what else can we say, Leslie? I think that's it. I think, you know, we've decided, Zoe and I, that we as parents, as back-to-school parents in COVID times, need a little pause between session three and four uh, to really adjust to what that means to us um, and for our families. But it also means that we will still be um, 
live on our Instagram and curating some of our most listened to and most interesting past podcasts for you. We'll also be sending out our newsletter bi-weekly. So you'll be getting that if you are subscribed to our newsletter. And if you aren't, please subscribe so we can stay in touch with you that way. Um, you can sign up on our website at fullbloomproject.com. Yeah, and as Leslie mentioned, um, we really do hope those of you who listen who aren't already following us on Instagram will go and check us out over there. Recently, we've been putting up some more kind of clinical content, some of the stuff that we uh, teach about in schools and in parent groups that we've been sharing, kind of body positive parenting basics. And there's a lot of content there. So we hope that uh, especially in the meantime, before season four comes out, that you can kind of get your body positive parenting on with us over there. Um, and you can find us at Full Bloom Project. That's right. So we're just so excited to take a little bit of time during what feels like at moments, impossible parenting in COVID times so that we can um, both really fine tune our intention for season four and get that out to you. So without further ado, let's get on to our finale. You want to? I do. I do. Um, this was a really s- special conversation with Elise Resch, a nutrition therapist specializing in intuitive eating and eating disorders. And some of you actually may know because she's one of the co-authors of the book Intuitive Eating, right? Along with Evelyn Triboli, our former podcast guest. That's right. And um, we just had a great conversation with her. And I'm going to read this week's body positive parenting question because that kind of kicked off the conversation. So let's read it and then we'll, we'll get right into the conversation. So this week's Patreon question is, I have two teenage daughters, 14 and 16, who I've been thinking recently would really benefit from intuitive eating. I don't want them to suffer through decades of diet culture and only make peace with food later in life the way I have. My problem is that we're living through an angsty teen stage where they both have very minimal interest in what I have to say or any advice from me. I'm wondering if you have recommendations for how to help less than enthusiastic teenagers get interested in intuitive eating or thinking about health at every size. I've thought about just giving them the book, but I wish there was more I could do. I should add that neither of them have a problem with disordered eating as far as I know, but they both seem to struggle with confidence and I think they would benefit from the confidence and self-acceptance that I found comes with intuitive eating. So, I mean, Elise in so many ways was the perfect person to go to with this question. As I mentioned a moment ago, she is the co-author of the book Intuitive Eating. That's just sort of a must-have for every human trying to repair their relationship with food. But she also wrote a book, The Intuitive Eating Workbook for Teens, which is fantastic. I I give it to a lot of young clients that I work with, but we wanted to pick her brain about how to get Generation Z interested in intuitive eating. So Elise, welcome to the Full Bloom Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for um, having me on it. We're thrilled that you've joined us, um, and it, it feels like about time we, we had Evelyn Triboli on in our first season, so it's really nice to get the other original Intuitive Eating Pro on, so thank you. Thank you again. Before we get started, I wonder if uh, you could tell us a little bit about your background and the work that you do. 
Of course. Um, so I was an elementary school teacher straight out of college for four years. I taught second grade and I taught fourth grade. And then I had my son. And then I decided this is not what I want to do for the rest of my life. So I went back to graduate school at 30. And I was led to this, I know, because I had my own eating issues. I uh, had that whole diet binge mentality. And I'm really grateful for Having had that experience, because it really brought me to a place where I can do the work that I know is my soul's work, and, and I've been in practice 38 years now, and I love it. So that's where that began. And then uh, in the beginning years of doing this work, I had absolutely no intention of dealing with, and this is going to be in double quotes, weight management, because it wasn't something I thought was going to bring me any joy. And I knew that it was, even in those years, this is way back in 1982, I knew that it wasn't successful before all this research has come out to uh, look at diets and how they don't work. So I didn't want to do that. And when I trained to be a dietitian, I was training in a multidisciplinary program for development, developmentally disabled kids. And uh, that was my intention. That was the work I was going to do. But, you know, I planned on that, but then the referrals kept coming from doctors for people with medical issues, and they kept telling me this person needs to lose weight, and I was like, no, I don't want to do that, And but I got thrown into it, and it never felt right in my gut, and fortunately, soon after that, I started reading some of the very early literature on non-diet approach. Uh, Hirschman and Munter wrote a book called Overcoming Overeating, and it was the first time I think I read something that said just tell people to eat whatever they want. And of course, my first thought was, I'm a dietitian. I have a master of science degree in nutrition. How can I tell people to eat whatever they want? Because some foods have more nutritional value than others. But I'm also extremely interested in psychology and um, have been in therapy and have been studying psychology for years and years, even though I'm not a, a real psychologist. And I started to understand all the psychological background to why diets don't work and why this whole thing was so uncomfortable. And that was the point at which I started thinking, I have to write a book. And I started writing. Uh, I had an outline and some paragraphs on the computer. And at the same time, Evelyn was working out of my office uh, once a week. She lives an hour away and she was coming up to LA and we uh, would see each other from time to time. And one day, she may have told you the story too, but one day, we were walking by each other and she looked like she was a bit unhappy. And I said, Evelyn, what's the matter? And she said, oh, I'm so frustrated. I'm writing this book with a psychologist and that person doesn't know how to write. And it was one of those moments of being one of those, you know, flashes where I said, I'll write it with you because it hit me that uh, we could probably get what we wanted to get done together. And it was because her ideas were similar to mine. And and we began, and we ended up getting three offers for that first book from three different publishers, and that's where Intuitive Eating began. And the first edition came out in 1995, and the fourth edition just came out two weeks ago. So, It's such a great story. I love that. And I love that you know the fourth edition has come out, and I want to hear about it. Can you tell us a little bit about any changes or updates that you guys did with this new edition? Yes. Well, interestingly, when the second edition came out, there were no changes other than writing a chapter on eating disorders. So essentially, up until 2012, the book was the same book that was written in 1995. And our ideas had changed quite a lot. And when we were writing the third edition, we made a lot of revisions, hoping to bring it up to the present thinking. 
And yet it didn't get far enough in terms of dealing with diet culture. And I'm not even sure that term was out there then. And weight stigma and social justice. And so the new book really addresses some of those issues. The language has changed. It's all gender neutral. There's uh, a regular focus on weight stigma. And in fact, Something that was really important is that, you know, all along we say diets don't work because, you know, 98% of people can gain the weight back, yada, yada. Well, the real reason diets don't work is because they actually promote weight stigma. That's the real problem with diets. And so we wanted to, you know, address that in the book. Plus, there's a lot more research in these last 10 years since the last book was written. And there's over 125 studies now validating intuitive eating as an evidence-based process for helping people psychologically and physically, positive benefits, decrease in risk of disordered eating and eating disorders. And so we've expanded that chapter. We've moved some things around. The first chapter now is the research to help people give see a, a strong foundation uh, before they get into intuitive eating to understand that this is legitimate. This is a really big deal, you know. And we also shifted on um, the names of a couple of chapters rather than coping with feelings without using food. Now it's coping with feelings with kindness mm-hmm. because we've come to understand that there was a lot of judgment out there with the term using food. And understanding that people often need to feel comfort from their eating and to not judge themselves. So we shifted that chapter's name. Also, the um, movement chapter used to be called Exercise Feel the Difference. It's now called Movement Feel the Difference mm-hmm. because we really want to put the focus on you know joyous movement, things that feel good, completely disconnected from body size. And uh, in the kids chapter, the Raising Kids and Teens chapter, we've added a piece on baby-led weaning or slash solids, which is really intuitive eating for babies. <laughs> and it's not a real long piece, but it, it does introduce the concept of babies really know what, when and you know they're ready and what they want to taste. And so we threw that one in there. We also changed the order of a couple of chapters. We pushed satisfaction up. After Make Peace with Food and before fullness, because we realize that it's very important for people to look through a lens of satisfaction for um, their intuitive eating journey. And I think it's important to look through that lens first before one can recognize that they're full and be willing to stop eating. So we we shifted that. So there's there's some technical changes. There are some um, really meaningful changes. And we are hoping that this time around, we have not screwed up. We have a lot of humility about the fact that, you know, we can only know what we know when we learn it. And it's our choice to move forward and make changes and not be angry at ourselves for not knowing earlier. I mean, when this first book was written, which would now be 27 years ago, because it takes two years to write a book, our consciousness wasn't raised the way it is today. Mm -hmm. So I think that's such a beautiful thing to model for the parents listening uh, to this podcast, because uh, that's so much what we want to talk about. Like we talk about so many new concepts here and uh, introduce new ways of thinking and in the way that intuitive eating has been studied over the past 10 years, so is weight stigma over the past 10 years. And that's, it is a newer science. And and so we really feel so strongly about creating a non-blaming, non-shaming environment here for parents to learn something new and to try new things without then bludgeoning themselves like, oh, I messed up, I messed up. So I appreciate in like the way that you're 
sharing the changes that you and Evelyn have recognized that you you now know more than you did and you want to do it differently. So thank you for that. And as I might have mentioned, we did have Evelyn here on our first season to introduce the concept of intuitive eating and also talk a little bit about, quote, junk food, because we really love that idea of, of referring to it as play food and just sort of taking the judgment completely out of it. But as you know, this season, season three of our podcast, we're responding to listener questions because we really want to focus on body positive parenting in real life. And so we don't expect you to know all the answers or have the perfect solution to the question that we got today. <laughs> but but maybe maybe between the three of us, um, we'll be able to give this question some attention. Um, so I'm going to read it if that's okay. And then maybe, we, like I said, we can just sort of have an informed think with you. But I think you'll see from the question that why we thought you'd be the perfect person to answer it. Okay, so the listener writes, I have two teenage daughters, 14 and 16, who I've been thinking recently would really benefit from intuitive eating. I don't want them to suffer through decades of diet culture and only make peace with food later in life the way I have. My problem is that we're living through an angsty teen stage where they both have very minimal interest in what I have to say or any advice from me. I'm wondering if you have ideas for how to help less than enthusiastic teenagers get interested in intuitive eating or thinking about haze, health at every size. I've thought about just giving them the book, but wish there was more I could do. I should add that neither of them have a problem with disordered eating as far as I know, but both seem to struggle with confidence. And I think they would benefit from the confidence and self-acceptance that I personally found comes with intuitive eating. That's the question. And you may kind of guess why we thought you'd be a good person to answer because you do have a wor- you do have a workbook. Um, our listeners may not know, but uh, want to take a crack at this? Sure, I do. And first of all, I want to praise this mother for her consciousness. Uh, how, how wonderful. And Uh, And it didn't come from a place of where her kids were having problems. It came from her own sense of her own issues and not wanting them to end up with problems. But more than that, just um, giving them an awareness of something so important. And I think what she's saying at some point in this uh, question is teenagers are in that developmental stage where they don't want to hear anything from anybody. Their their sense of a, a, you know needing to assert their autonomy is going to put them off from being um, told this is a really good thing for you to look at. So I think that talking to these kids about social justice and oppression uh, for all you know, not just the weight issue, but racism and homophobia and, you know, sexism and ageism and ableism, all of the isms, and I've left out a few, I think will really appeal to them because the young people today seem to be more open to uh, looking at the world and how we can change the world, especially what has been going on in the last uh, month, you know, with protests um, about racism and actually the you know, new opening to the concept, although a lot of people have known this for a long time, the connection between racism and fat phobia. So I think addressing them on those issues, having to, starting a conversation about that and having them, you know, just be oriented to the fact that weight stigma is one of the oppressions and one of the things that the, they can change and their friends can change 
in terms of acceptance, you know. And so I think that may be a way in for them. And the mom might be able to say, uh, I happen to read this stuff about something called intuitive eating. And there's a book for teenagers. It's the intuitive eating workbook for teens. And, you know, I thought you might be interested in it and bring it to some of your friends because I suspect that some of your friends may be having issues with eating or with, you know, body acceptance. And so I think it's addressing their autonomy to begin with and not telling them this is something you should do, but let's look at the bigger picture and maybe this would be one piece of it. And I think that the talking about building their confidence, the more that they feel that they have a part in changing the world, it's a great way to help them feel more confident about themselves and have you know their values challenged and more meaning in their lives. So that would be the way I would approach it. I love that answer. I think it's it's spot on. This is Leslie. Um, you know, I've just noticed in my own in my own private practice recently that the conversations that have really been started and that my teens are interested in having are from the social justice lens, and it's exciting to be able to make those connections from a different place than kind of starting with nutrition, which I think is where maybe sometimes it feels like too controlling and and the kids want that independence there. But really thinking about um, weight stigma is an oppression and and really just helping them see the interconnection and teaching them about that. I agree. I think that's a wonderful place to enter into. What do you think, Zoe? I think so, too. I mean, it's I I kept thinking like that's the perfect hook, you know, because it's so meaningful and it is on so many people's minds um, and young people's minds. And and, you know, maybe not all young people's minds, but I mean, we've gotten that feedback in other kind of episodes that we've had about sort of tapping into the inner activist or even this question, like, how do you get your family and your children to value advocacy and activism and sort of making the world a better place, a more inclusive place. So, I, I mean, I, I love that that direction to go in. I love that it's not about the nutrition, but because we are also talking about nutrition, I'm curious what might be some challenges to either starting or maintaining intuitive eating that might be specific to the teenage years. Well, I think um, the more controlling a parent is around whether it's a child or a teenager, uh, the more they're going to get pushback on it. So I think the challenge would come more from the parents. And I think that the more that the parents can understand the autonomy issue and be able to um, relate to their teen, you know, you have so much wisdom within you about eating. And if I've ever, you know, tried to give you any direction, I'm sorry, I'm stepping back. You have the wisdom. I'll, I'll have the food here. I'll prepare meals. I'll prepare things you like. You can tell me everything that you would like to have in the house. And then it's up to you to decide what you want to eat and, you know, how much you want to eat. So I would say that that's where the challenge is. And I think, you know, teenagers want to be free. They want to be with their friends. They want to, well, it's a hard time right now, but, you know, in general, they want to be uh, able to go out and have whatever food that they would like to have. And if they're getting a message at home about eat healthfully, you know, Mm -hmm. eat, eat the healthy foods, the word I hate, the clean foods. I want to just throw that word out of the vocabulary. But then they're they're just going to not hear anything that's said and they're going to rebel. But the more that they are given this um, sense that 
they do have the wisdom that their parents do trust them to know what to do. And also that their parents are there to help out, maybe make them breakfast if they want or pack them a lunch to go to school when they're able to again. I do have one client who had such food insecurity, and it's not because there was not the there weren't the funds to get the food. Her parents were just so busy with everything else that they basically neglected them, didn't really create meals for them, had some food in the refrigerator, never taught them what it was like to eat a family meal. And she wasn't getting what she needed in terms of self-care around eating. And so I think parents do have the responsibility for their teens. Teens have a hard time today. I mean, the the amount of work they have to do in in high school and they're worrying about getting into college. I mean, they, they could use some help from a parent to have food available for them. But it's not about telling them what they should eat and shouldn't eat. And having some family meals. I mean, it's hard when kids have a lot of things going on. But at least, you know, whenever they can, have the family sit together and enjoy that social interaction around a meal and, and so that they can also see the parents as role models in, in terms of the way, you know, that they're eating, which brings me to, I don't know if we were going to talk about it later. I think it's so important for parents to really look at their own relationship with food and their bodies. And so, you know, a challenge for kids would be if they're living in a home that is fat phobic, that is weight centric, you know, somebody, one of the parents is getting on the scale every day, making derogatory comments about their body. That, that's, that would be a problem. Yeah. It's one of the problems that I think we just, we have to acknowledge is there not even in its most disordered form, you know, it's just pervasive. And so often the answer to our million dollar question, which we will get to, is, you know, to really look at your own comments about food and your body um, and behaviors around food in your body, because it's the modeling, you know, there's so much modeling that happens there. Um, and I will say as a, um, I'm a, I'm a certified eating disorder RD. And so I work with a lot of people with very serious eating disorders and the majority of them, the large majority of them, it began with parents who were having problems, what they heard, what they observed, you know, in their home and what was thrown on them, you know, from a parent who says, oh, I don't want you to suffer the way I did. So here, this is how you can lose some weight. Somebody just told me yesterday that she was put on Weight Watchers at nine. Mm. Yeah, sadly, we, we've heard that before. And, you know, again, if you are a parent listening who either has done that themselves. So glad you're here and and listening to sort of new ways of thinking and and relating to food and body. But I think it's important to sort of acknowledge how, like Leslie was saying, it's it's not even in its most disordered state. Like a lot of what we're describing is very, quote, normal, right? It's sadly kind of acceptable to be making sort of disparaging comments about your body or eating, quote, clean or or sort of being feeling proud if you eat clean as a family. Like these are things that are really just sort of typical in, in certain kind of enclaves of society anyway. And it does make me wonder, you know, in my fantasy world, right, like 
eating intuitively is like so popular at school, you know, like (laughs) that, that there's not just posters about it, but like everybody's sort of inspiring each other to like take down diet culture and everybody really gets the connection between, you know, weight stigma and racism and like, you know, it's just part of this sort of new civil rights movement. And that's my fantasy. But in reality, I think it's not so much that way, especially given the conversations we've had with parents where maybe kind of like this parent, like maybe the parent is enlightened, right? Sometimes the parent isn't. Maybe the parent is dieting. But in a sort of average uh, high school setting, I guess I'm wondering in your experience working with teens that maybe are individually hooked in, right? Like maybe they are sort of trying on this intuitive eating way. How do they do that or how do they navigate that when it's not popular or it's not what everybody else is doing? Like when diets or cleanses or whatever else is sort of the more dominant chatter, like that feels challenging. Well, I I have found with a lot of my teens, especially ones who are recovering from an eating disorder, but even the ones who aren't, um, they buy in so quickly to changing the world, as I said before. When I start talking to them about, tell me about your social media feeds. What are you What are you seeing on there? What are people promoting? Uh, can are there ones that promote just you know social justice and and open their eyes if they haven't been open to the fact that this is a social justice issue? Wow, they buy they buy in, and to talk to them about how you know about revolution and about how people are um, always resistant to make change, and then the more they hear, the more that they can have communities that support what they're thinking, the more they're open to make change. I'm I'm just so sad about some of the people of my age who are not so open. They're so traditional, and they kind of poo poo some of the things that <laughs> that I talk about, not just with intuitive eating, but with all social justice issues. So the teens are so ripe to to change. So yes, to discuss with them, this, this is going to be hard if you're living in, you know, a, a culture, of a, a diet culture in a world in your high school where everybody is so focused on on their size. And, and I try to help them look at value, at their values, dig deeply into their you know, what is their value system and what is important? And and it helps shift their minds a little toward, oh, maybe there's another way of thinking. And then they'll often open up about, well, but this is what I learned. And my mother was always, you know, telling me this, or my doctor said I should lose weight and really have a very intelligent adult to adult, even though they may be teens, but coming from that ego state of the adult, not the authoritarian on my part. And they then come from the adult part of them, almost adult part, rather than the rebellious teen. No, I don't want to learn about that. So they, they feel honored by a conversation where we can have some critical thinking. I'm excited to hear you just having success with with teens, you know, in your experience. And I know that, that you have this workbook out for teens and I'm wondering just how are teens finding that? What are you noticing about kind of the analytics of it all? How, how do people, how do teens get that in their hands? Well, typically they're not going to go on Amazon and look for a book on intuitive eating. (laughs) I mean, that's just not, you know, not going to be in. In my fantasy world, in my fantasy world, they do. Right, right, right. (laughs) I will tell you, this is so interesting. I have a 16-year-old client who found me through intuitive eating. She had found intuitive eating on her own, 
was so excited about it, wanted to go to the source. She had had years of disordered eating as a result of having GI problems and having been sent to several different medical health professionals who put her on restrictive diet. She hadn't had a period for two years and she was miserable and she found intuitive eating and she's actually training as the youngest intuitive eating life facilitator right now. And she's done a little conference on zoom from her school. So that that's really cool. And she's such an advocate and she's talking to everybody everybody about it. So uh, I'm sorry, the original question on that one, I got off. Well, more, you know, how, how do teens find their way to your work? Um, very often my clients who are parents will look at the impact that they've had throughout their lives by, you know, diet culture. And they're now so excited about intuitive eating. And so then they're able to bring it to their teen the way I was talking about before by coming and saying to their their kids, you know, I just really think I've been doing something wrong or we've been doing something wrong by trying to, you know, control your eating. And I realize now after reading a book, after talking to somebody, just how you have so much wisdom within you and you take the reins in terms of um, your body and what you need. And there, there happens to be this book, you know, that was written directly for teenagers. So you might be interested in it. And I think it starts with the the teen hearing the parent apologize, say that they, you know, want to do things better. Kids love that. Of course, they're going to test their parents and not really believe that they're going to change. But uh, and then they're they're open for it. And I think a lot of kids who are in therapy, their therapists recommend the book. If they have been sent to a dietitian, I know a lot of dietitians are using using it. But typically, I don't think they're finding it so much on their own, although maybe my teen client who's on social media is spreading the word, and maybe they will now. Do you think that the the book, the workbook, would be I mean, appropriate for someone that just was curious, right? Like that didn't necessarily... Per- perceive themselves to have a problem or or maybe that their relationship you know I guess I'm just wondering like like should this just be on a body positive parents bookshelf so that it's just something that a teen or like a kid that's growing up gets to see and sort of if they're intrigued pull down I guess I'm wondering if the workbook is something that could be useful to someone that's just curious and not necessarily struggling with any particular issue around food I think that even if they're not having problems, diet culture is so toxic and powerful and all over the place that I think that because there's an awareness of that and because it may be filtering into their thoughts, that even though their behavior may be you know, not showing anything in disorder, I think they need to understand the psychology behind uh, the whole concept of dieting and why, you know, as I say, why it doesn't... Uh, well, why it doesn't work and why it's toxic. So I do think it's helpful. Um, I also think it's extremely helpful for adults. Uh, I have had so many of my adult clients use the book as a way to get themselves back to the teen years when it, it started, because for most of the adults I work with, it didn't just start yesterday. They've been carrying some of these thoughts and behaviors for many, many years. And I've had some clients have real revelations when they go back to some of the exercises and and look at their history of their feelings, their thoughts when they were dieting, when they were off diets, you know, what happened afterwards. So, I mean, in my opinion, everyone would profit from it because I don't think people understand really why diets don't work, even if they're not dieting. 
So I think it's an enlightening, you know, opportunity for them to look at the psychology behind it. In a nutshell, I know this is kind of a, a pop quiz question, but um, because we have you, in a nutshell, how do you teach that to people who I'm thinking about someone that I know who has never had disordered eating, has daughters, they're starting to go through puberty and is starting to kind of try to figure out what to do about their their daughter being uncomfortable with their body changing. And, you know, the first, this is a great example, like it doesn't really understand that this avenue that seems like the glowing, shining, easiest route doesn't work. And so I'm wondering kind of what's your nutshell version of why this doesn't work? Oh, of why it doesn't work, or I thought you meant how to approach the kids. So why doesn't it work? Okay. Well, if you're talking to a teenager, you ask that teenager, how do you feel when you're told to do something? And pretty universally, they're going to say, I don't want to do it, you know, because it is understanding that developmental stage that's so important in the development of a healthy ego for them to balk at things. So to help them understand that when someone from the outside, whether it's an actual diet or hearing people talk about good food, bad food, talk about, you know, paleo or I just even hate to name them all, you know, the intermittent mm-hmm. fasting. When someone from the outside is telling you, teenager, uh, what to do, what that's actually doing is invading your inner boundaries of your inner wisdom because only you can possibly know which foods you like, when you're hungry, when you're full, you know, how food can comfort you, what happens when, you know, you're maybe eating when you're not hungry, how satisfying is food. And so uh, let's take a look at the fact that all of these things that are floating around there in diet culture are externalized and they're not honoring your inner knowledge and wisdom. And so they're really crossing your boundary. And and I really do find that talking to teenagers um, in a very clear and psychological way, they really love it. They buy into it. They're smart kids today. There would be, you know, that piece. And then, of course, the part of, about deprivation. It's like, well, how do you feel when you don't get to have something that you want? And they're, you know, going to typically say, oh, my God, I want it so much more. It's like, or maybe they're 15 and they're dying to have a driver's license. How do you feel? I want it. I want it. That's all I think about. And to help them understand that diets or prescribed, you know, ways of eating or meal plans are really um, taking away some of the things that they really want. And it just makes them uh, want them even more, overvalue them. And so having them understand psychology of both deprivation and the need to maintain one's boundaries and autonomy uh, is the way I would explain it. Mm-hmm. That's great. I, I really want that uh, script. Maybe we'll, we'll have, our, we'll, we'll transcribe it and share it with our audience because it's, it's really good. And I guess it's part of my fantasy, but maybe this could be a reality. I think this education about intuitive eating and and exactly what you just described, it really should be in every health curriculum that exists in schools because there's such a—I mean, and we can go on this— topic on another episode, but there's so much emphasis on like teaching about nutrition. If you can even have a health curriculum in a school, that's another story altogether. But I think it's very unusual to find this education in sort of a school environment. And I was thinking, well, if you want to reach kids, granted, they're not necessarily going to do what they're quote told, but these kinds of questions, right, and, and sort of dilemmas that you're putting forth, I just want every health teacher to to know that they're 
in such a prime position to offer this wisdom, you know, anyway, it's and another, the, and the counselors, you know, to, to talk to the counselors, the, the deans, the vice principals about this offering to come and give a talk. I mean, I have done that in the past and it's, it's great to just open their eyes and, and it really, you get to teens when you discuss this concept of autonomy, it's just, it really resonates with them. Mm-hmm. So why would you want to do something that somebody's telling you to do when it really might not resonate with what you know inside? Well, I'm wondering if we can whittle it all down to your takeaway. Um, you know, if each parent listening to this podcast took away and did just one thing on the rec- regular, what's the one thing you'd recommend they do? What I mentioned earlier, I think the most important thing is looking at your own thoughts and feelings about your food and body, what you say in the household, what your kids are hearing, because they're just, they just want to mimic you and they start to believe it about themselves. So the one most important thing is working on your own as a parent relationship with food. And I get calls a lot from parents about their kids, whether they're younger than teens or teens having, you know, eating issues. And I say, no, I don't want to see your kid right now. I want you to come in and talk to me. I do this all the time and help the parents change their thinking. And that's where it kind of trickles down to the kids. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Well, thank you so much for continuously updating your book and staying out there and a resource for all of us and all of our listeners. Um, We're so excited for this new edition, as I imagine you are too. Um, And there are a couple of other new things I should throw out there. Oh yeah, tell us. just about to get back uh, next week, my copy edits on the new Intuitive Eating Journal book, which is going to be a really fun book. It's going to have a lot of graphics in it and space to you know, to carry around and, and talk about feelings. And I teach intuitive eating throughout it, you know, each of the 10 chapters. And then that'll be out next year. The year after we're going to have an intuitive eating deck of cards, 52 oh, so cards. Fun. Yeah. Which I think that'll really appeal to teenagers. So that's Great. fantastic. That's awesome. Congrats on all of that. And please keep us updated so we can keep our listeners updated too. But thank you again so much for taking some time to talk to us and our listeners. And um, we just hope you have a great day. Well, thank you for the opportunity. I mean, my goal is to change the world. I know it's a big and lofty goal, but it's been something I've wanted my whole life. And uh, any chance I get to speak about it and maybe affect even one person, that can change the world. So thank you. So that's our show. We would love for you to follow us on Instagram at Full Bloom Project. And thank you so much all for listening. We will be back soon with more body positive parenting wisdom.